Hello, I'm Emily Khan, and I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of our Beyond Brexit podcast. Having been behind the scenes on these podcasts for many months, I have the pleasure of holding the microphone for this episode. And what an interesting time it is to be talking about the Brexit negotiations, what we expect the outcome to be, and what businesses can be doing now to prepare for different outcomes. Recently, we've had the much-anticipated EU summit. This was, for some time, where many had hoped a deal would be struck. However, as we now know, it was judged that insufficient progress had been made to reach an agreement or indeed to schedule the rumoured extraordinary summit for November. So where does this leave negotiations and what can we expect over the next few weeks and months? Today I'm joined by PwC experts, two familiar voices by now, Anna Wallace, Head of Political Relations, and Andrew Gray, our Head of Brexit, and a newcomer to our panel, welcome Iman Chetwani, one of our immigration specialists. I'll be putting to this group some of the questions I'm most often hearing from our clients. So, Anna, perhaps you can start us off by explaining what we know now about the October summit and where we are in the negotiation process. Sure, thank you, Emily. And um, well, as you rightly said, the October summit uh, was supposed to be the moment in this Article 50 process where we left Brussels with a deal, which would then be put to both the British Parliament and the institutions of the EU. And unfortunately, that's not what it represented uh, in the last few weeks. Indeed. I think what you'll see in the next few months is a lot of sabre rattling, certainly within the UK. And in many ways, it'll probably feel like we're back in the referendum as both sides recount all of the arguments about why we should or shouldn't be closer or further away from Europe. But having said that, all indications and certainly some of the mood music coming from behind uh, the Brussels negotiations is that we are heading for a deal and that the UK and the EU are close to agreement. It won't surprise listeners to know that uh, Ireland remains the blocker in terms of delivering that progress. But nonetheless, it seems like we're on the right track. Now, it, there is another December summit already scheduled on the, I think it's the 13th, 14th of December. Yep. Um, there might be an extraordinary summit in November where issues are debated further. But either way, whether we get to a November or a December deal point, because we do still think a deal is more likely than not, the real question then, and I guess the unpredictability in this um, uh, negotiation comes from Parliament, and the real questions there are what deal is put before tar at Parliament, what alternative options do they have to whatever deal is presented to them, and how long do they have in which to potentially change tact? And if, as I sort of outlined there, we don't really walk away from Brussels with the deal in our hands until, say, December time, that means any parliamentary vote might be coming coming quite late, maybe December, maybe even into January 2019. That doesn't leave a lot of room to go back to Europe and renegotiate if Parliament rejects the deal. And that's why I think, you know, the, it's interesting to see where the incentives are and where they aren't. But if Parliament is, is presented with an option of deal or WTO, that clearly doesn't do any favours for Ireland and the hard border. Indeed. I get the sense, though, from what you've just said, that you feel quite optimistic that things are moving in the right direction. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Yeah, I think I'm optimistic. I think, as, as the Prime Minister has said a number of times in the last few weeks, this was always going to be the most difficult part of uh, the negotiations. Yeah. Uh, and I think you see clearly a lot of showmanship on all sides. Um, somebody once said to me that sometimes in politics you have to be seen to be failing. Uh, and I think there is a bit of a sense of that at the moment, 
that actually um, if things were too easy uh, between the UK and Europe, they might get more difficult between the Prime Minister and her colleagues in Westminster. Quite, so watch this space. <laughs> um, another question I get a lot that I'd like, like your take on, Anna, is the no deal notices. So mm. there's been a lot published over the summer. How have they been received and what are they useful for? Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. I think um, all of the talk around the no deal notices, I think, has driven interest within the business community that actually Brexit is something they need to worry about. I think for those organisations who have been quite well um, prepared and who have engaged with the issue of Brexit before that point, there probably isn't a lot of new detail in those notices that they didn't already know. Having said that, for businesses who have been less engaged with the topic, including uh, um, businesses outside of the UK who are selling goods and services into the UK, they're probably a helpful starting point to give you a bit of a summary of what some of the key issues are, including what might happen at the border and what might happen to people, um, which we know lots of businesses are, are grappling with. So there's some, there's some helpful pointers in there, especially perhaps if you haven't engaged with the process before. Or likewise, if you have parent companies or operations over abroad and you, uh, abroad and you need to point to them them about what no deal would mean and there's some helpful content in there in that context too. And I know from our own work on um, planning for Brexit that actually it's been very reassuring to look at what it's saying for instance about audit and accountancy and check that against our assumptions and see a close close marrying up. That's right that's right nothing new but perhaps a helpful reassurance that we're going in the right direction. So Andrew just bringing you in on that because I know you're leading a lot of our work with clients on Brexit. Um, are a lot of clients asking you about planning for deal versus no deal? No, I mean, I think the, really the, the uncertainty is still causing many clients issues uh, and, and the, the recognition of the fact that there is still a possibility of no deal uh, being the worst case scenario for, for many, many firms. And that's really the reason why uh, we see still clients are planning for a no deal scenario. Although, you know, uh, continue to review that on an ongoing basis, but recognising also the time is short and the amount of effort it takes quite often to actually make the changes. Mm are very significant for some firms uh, and therefore at least doing some work ahead of time at least gives the board and, and the senior executives reassurance that they will, you know, whatever happens, whatever the outcome, they can continue to trade um, as best they can. Yeah, that makes sense. And picking up on your point there about time taking to prepare, what's your view on a possible extension to the transition period? Is that, that good news or bad news? Well, I think part of the problem is, I mean, you, we've got sort of several phases to this. There's, there's looking forward to the 29th of March 2019, deal or no deal, and firms need to be absolutely prepared for that situation. When, when we get a transitional period, but that's only on the basis that there's a deal done, um, then, then obviously that's going to result in a whole another series of conversations between the UK and the EU in terms of what that future relationship looks like. Simply having a transitional period in itself doesn't help businesses. What it does do is it gives politicians the time to negotiate a trade deal. Yeah. It's only really once we've got clarity around what that future trade deal looks like that then firms can genuinely start to plan in terms of what their longer term future is going to be. And that itself will require a whole, whole new series of work streams for many firms. Um, and, and, you know, question marks about actually, should there be an implementation period after the trade deal's been announced, after the trade deal's been, been agreed? Uh, right, still still okay. requiring significant effort. 
So actually that transition period being extended means longer period of uncertainty as much as it means more time to prepare. Yes, I mean it's only once we actually know what the future relationship is going to look like will firms genuinely have certainty and know, and know how they're going to be able to trade with Europe on, on a longer term basis. Okay. Only then can they start to really put together strategic plans um, about, about what their future is going to be. Right. So what can they be doing now then, given that there's going to be uncertainty for at least you know, a couple of years beyond into a transition period? What could they be getting on with now? Yeah, we've talked for some time now about no regret decisions, which includes things like uh, looking at your supply chain, uh, thinking about your people. Um, but I think increasingly as the time becomes shorter, what we really need to think about is, is what sort of short-term contingency measures uh, can be put in place, which may in some cases result in effectively regrettable actions or expense okay. incurred, which might not be required in the long term. But I think it's, it's just business sense now that you've got to really think about, you know, there's only a matter of months left now. Um, and if, if, as Anna was talking earlier, you know, it only goes through Parliament in, in January, and there's still some challenges in Parliament, then then really you're talking about weeks between you know potentially a deal or no deal and mm -hmm. and March. So really getting some some actual foundations in place and, and probably spending some money now uh, is looking at some of the practical things that firms are going to have to do. Right. Okay. Iman, I saw you nodding there about um, Andrew's point about knowing your people, and that's an area where we are seeing businesses. Um, focus very much at the moment. It's been a little while since we've talked about kind of immigration and developments in that space, but actually a lot's been happening there too. Can you bring us up to speed on, on what's happened in the last few months? Uh, yeah, so in respect of the European um, Settlement Scheme, uh, otherwise known as the Settled Status Scheme, that actually went, um, that, that actually opened up earlier this summer. So it's an initial pilot and it will be opening up in uh, phases uh, between now and the end of March next year. Uh, that is a new system um, which is entirely online and um, interestingly it's the first time that they have relied on uh, link, uh, a link-in with HMRC records uh, as opposed to requiring uh, requiring original documents. Right, so okay, that's helpful. It is an, um, an interesting point. Earlier this autumn as well we had uh, the Migration Advisory Committee come back and report um, back to the government on European um, immigration and one of the um, key recommendations that they had made which was it's, it's important to point out that it was on the assumption that the UK uh, immigration policy is not included in the um, agreement with the EU and the recommendation there was to create a single system which applies to um, EU and non-EU migrants um, and essentially that would make it easier for higher skilled um, workers to come to the UK and it aligns with the government's broader industrial strategy which they announced last year. Right, okay. So actually quite a lot of movement forward in that area. So what sort of things are you doing with clients now to support their people? Um, in providing reassurance or helping them plan within this environment? So it's a really difficult time for EU workers, their families and employment um, and employers to, um, to, to kind of plan ahead. Um, so the types of things that we've been working on with clients um, are around their data. So it's really important that they have uh, good quality data on their, um, their employees' immigration status. So that enables them to identify the impacted populations um, and also more broadly to look at um, the, the impact for key areas of their business. So for example, um, more, more lower skilled um, in occupations, for example, there may be um, a more pronounced um, impact on those, those individuals. Right, okay. Um, other things that we've done as well are to work with them on communications and support packages. 
um, which we referred to earlier. Um, and we do know, f you know, in terms of um, retaining the talent that you do have and attracting the best talent going forward, that it's really important that, that employers work on those communication strategies. So the types of things that we've seen are FAQs, um, information portals, town hall presentations. Um, it, it, really very, um, it really does depend very much uh, on the employer and we've seen several strategies. Okay, great. Let's, um, let's talk for a minute about beyond Brexit and, and the future trajectory of immigration policy in the UK. You mentioned the MAC report already, but bring that to life for us a bit. What might that look like um, in a beyond Brexit environment? So the, um, the MAC recommendations of, um, with respect to Tier 2 are actually extremely interesting in respect of the, 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 um, the Tier 2 system generally. Um, so one of the most important um, recommendations that they made is this, the abolition of the cap. So there's currently an um, annual cap in respect of migrant workers and there was a recommendation that, um, you know, that, that it creates uncertainty for uh, employers um, and that the, um, a more robust um, approach to salary um, is a much better way of, of um, protecting the resident labour market um, against uh, employers undercutting the, um, the, the salaries. Right, okay. So watch this space for that and interesting things ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, they're, they're also, um, they also made a recommendation in respect to the skills threshold. Um, and, and that again is if free, mo free movement ends, then there will be uh, skills gaps um, in respect of more uh, low skilled um, roles. So for example, hospitality. Um, and so uh, there was a recommendation that the skills uh, threshold uh, be reduced. Okay. In, in line with that, um, in, in line with that skills gap. Right. I think we are almost running out of time, guys. But there's one last thing I'd like to do with you, because um, you know I'm passionate about busting myths around Brexit. So I'm going to give you each the chance to bust a myth that you hear talked about a lot. So Andrew, I'm going to come to you first. What's your myth that you'd like to bust? Well, I still hear a lot that, that people imagine that uh, the transitional period is agreed absent of everything else. So we have until December 2020, which you know, has been stated it's not true. Unless we have an exit agreement, we don't have a transitional period either. Right. OK, very good. And I saw you nodding very keenly at that. What's your myth to add to that one? Well, I think having just had the um, People's Vote March in London, uh, I think that it's probably all of the myths around a second referendum. I think there is clearly a growing swell of opinion in favour of a second referendum or a people's vote, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we will get one. And the thing that I would point to in that is, is well, a couple of fold, I guess. One, that we have 160 something days left of the Article 50 process. Not very long when you consider that yeah. every render, any referendum would one have to have a massive change of political heart at the top and or a change of leadership and would need the legislation laid in order for the referendum to be um, delivered and then you you have to have perda periods and all the rest of it. A lot of stuff to deliver within 160 days that just to me seems a bridge too far to really believe. Okay. And Iman, what's your myth to close us off? Um, that there's nothing that we can do until the settled status scheme is opened. Um, when actually the, uh, current, um, the current arrangements are open and will remain open for applicants until the end of March 2019. So that actually allows them to, um, you know, some administrative certainty and, and on a path to citizenship should they choose. Um, in respect of employers, um, again, as we've discussed, they can review the data that they do hold um, so that when agreement is reached, um, they can act quickly to make informed decisions um, on their future immigration policy. That's great. Thank you very much. So lots to take in there and lots that businesses can be doing now. 
Don't forget, listeners, that you can access a wealth of insights on our website, pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit. And indeed, ask any questions for us to cover in our next podcast by clicking Ask Andrew. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.